We now come to our Bible teaching. Um, You'll notice I haven't got my iPad with me. That's because 30 seconds before the service started, it didn't turn on, which is always a winner. So we'll see how we go. Going old school this morning. Um, We're in this series called Love Your Neighbor. And as we look at our different Advent readings, we're asking God to just open our hearts and open our imaginations of what it looks like to spill out of this place and to bring life and light and transformation to our community and to our city. We're here to love our neighbors. Our, Our Bible reading this morning, it's a really, really famous piece. You say it's Christmas time. They're all famous, Gareth. It's true. Um, it's a really famous piece. Somebody said that this reading we're going to read this morning, it's been whispered in monasteries, it's been chanted in cathedrals, it's been recited in country churches by candlelight up and down the country, and it's been set to music by everyone from Hillsongs to Bach. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it to Luke chapter 1, reading from verse 39. And church, what's amazing is that this is God's Word. And and we come this morning with this just incredible belief that He speaks to us through these words. That the God who made you, the God who loves you, is here with us this morning in this time, in this space. And He wants to speak to every single one of you. That's incredible. Listen now for the Word of God. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. 
What an incredible story. What an incredible story. Let's pray for a second, and then we're going to press into it a little bit. Father, all the other voices, all the other distractions, all the other things in our diary for this day and for this week, all the other things that are pulling our hearts in different directions, we bring those before you. God of love, God of peace, quieten our raging hearts so that we can be as present with you in this moment as you are present with us. Speak to us because you alone have the words of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I've got a question for you this morning. And then I'm going to walk around and take some answers from the floor. What is your favorite Christmas carol? It's not a hard one. If you tell me it's Santa got run over by a reindeer, I'm going to slap you. Christmas carol, the Jesus kind, okay? Gary, what's your favorite Christmas carol? Okay, and your second one's Fair Fairy Tale in New York. Okay, got you. Grim. The first Noel. Okay, okay. Nicola? Holy Night. Let's go around some more. Daphne, what's your favorite Christmas carol? Little Town of Great, 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 great. Craig, stop putting your head down. What's your favorite Christmas carol? Oh, come all ye faithful. Stephen? Oh, brilliant, 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 brilliant. Have you all got a favorite Christmas carol? Speak it out loud now. Go. Very good. All I heard was a holy night and then blah, 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 blah. Uh, But yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Do you know what's fascinating though? This song that we've just read, and it's a song. It's called The Magnificent. Tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord. You know the old hymn? Yeah? Um, it comes from this declaration of praise that, that Mary erupts into after Elizabeth greets her. And it's called the Magnificant because in Latin, the first word is Magnificant. And, and Mary says, my soul glorifies, magnifies the Lord. And you're saying, it doesn't sound very Christmassy, but an Advent song is a song that's getting you ready for Christmas, and and this is the first song that we see in the Scriptures that is getting us ready for Christmas. Thirty weeks before Christmas, Mary bursts into this, tell out my soul, the greatness of the Lord. This is the first Christmas Advent song. N.T. Wright, who's a a New Testament scholar up at um, St. Andrews University in Scotland, he writes, it's the gospel before the gospel. A fierce, bright shout of triumph 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before Calvary and Easter. It goes with a swing. It goes with a clap. It goes with a stomp. It's all about God. It's all about revolution because it's all about Jesus. 
kind of cool, isn't it? It's more than a song. It's more than a song. That's the title for this morning's Teach. It's more than a song. I guess the, the first thing I, I, I want to say this morning is that, that worship shapes our hearts. The danger with these Christmas stories is we know them so well. We, we think we know what God's saying to us, and we don't actually take time to listen. We become overly familiar with the story that we miss the majesty within the story, and we miss the revelation within the story. And so there's a few things I want to pull out this morning in the next 20 minutes. The first one's this, worship shapes our hearts. Often we, we look at Mary, and she's pregnant with Jesus, the Son of God. It must have been amazing. And we gloss over the fact, or we pay lip service to it, but we don't allow our hearts to really engage with it, with the, with the fact that she's a teenage girl. What is she, 14, 15 maybe? She's a teenage girl who's found herself pregnant. And she lives in a small town where everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's business and everybody talks about everybody else. And her story of how she became pregnant is so far-fetched is so out there that an angel appeared to me and the Holy Spirit came upon me and, and now I'm pregnant. I dead on, Mary. Isn't that what they'd have been saying about her? What would you have been saying? What would you have been thinking? Gossiped about, pointed at, whispered about. And her relationship's on the rocks. She's engaged, she's betrothed to this guy called Joseph, who's, a, who's an honorable, God-fearing Jewish man. And, and yet, she, when she tells Joseph about it, he, what's he supposed to make of it? It pushes trust in a relationship, doesn't it? It's not until the angel comes to Joseph and says, what she's saying is true that he begins to believe her. But, but in this moment, her relationship's on the rocks. She's in this limbo between, am I having to do this on my own? Or is Joseph going to stand by me? Are my family going to stand? What's going on here? And as I was reading this story, I couldn't help but wonder behind the, the lights and the tinsel and the smiles and the music of Christmas, are some of you here this morning and your life is something that other people gossip about? Are some of you here this morning and you've just experienced that, that, that rejection by the people who should have your back? Fear, isolation, loneliness not knowing what the future is going to be like because of the uncertainty about the news you've been given. Do any of you see your story in Mary's story? And Mary goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house and, and everybody agrees, all the commentators agree, she does it to get out of the gossip mill that is her hometown. 
travel sort of 50 to 70 miles into the hill country. And she comes to her cousin Elizabeth's house and she, she comes, arrives at the door and she, she shouts in and says, I'm here. Now remember, this is hard for us to grasp. There was no Facebook back then. No Instagram. Elizabeth hadn't seen on social media that Mary was pregnant. No phone calls, no texts, no letters. Elizabeth didn't know her cousin was pregnant. It's early in the pregnancy. The chances are under a long flowing robe Mary wasn't showing yet. Elizabeth didn't know her cousin was pregnant. And she walks in and greets Elizabeth and we're told, and this is what the Bible says, we're told that she was filled, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby in her womb leapt for joy, kicked, but whatever, spun over. And Elizabeth erupts into this greeting to Mary. Listen to the words she uses. She doesn't know she's pregnant. She doesn't know that, um, she, she, she doesn't know the special circumstances of, of Mary's baby and her pregnancy. And this is Jesus in, in Mary's stomach. And, and the words that she says, blessed are you among women and blessed is your child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Everything the angel said, Elizabeth affirms in her greeting of Mary, but Elizabeth didn't know. And the only way to explain it, guys, the only way to explain it is in what was said in the previous sentence, is that when she saw, when she heard Mary, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what's happening. And this isn't language we always use, but here's what's happening. Mary walked in full of fear, full of fright at what was going on in her life and what God was asking her to do. And God's Spirit speaks to Elizabeth and says, you need to encourage your cousin. She's pregnant. You need to affirm that the baby in her womb is the child of God. The only way Elizabeth could know that was if God had said that to her. And it's what we call a word of knowledge, where God speaks to you in real time and reveals something to you that is to help another person, to encourage another person, or to build another person up. And so Elizabeth speaks to Mary and encourages her because God has given her an insight, a word of knowledge to build up her cousin for the thing that God is asking her to do. Do you see that? And I know for some of us, that's going to be hard to get our head around because it feels like it's far from our experience. But most of us will read our Bibles on a regular basis. We encourage daily, but it doesn't always happen, but on a regular basis, yeah? We call it a quiet time of devotion. Why do we do that? We do that because we have a belief that when we read from the Bible, God speaks to us, don't we? We're comfortable with that language. And the way he speaks to us, he takes words that we read here, and his Holy Spirit burns them into our hearts, and it just feels relevant to where we are. We come to church on a Sunday, and you listen to me or Gary rabbit on for about half an hour. Why? Because you believe that somewhere in the midst of it, God wants to speak to you. We believe that God speaks to us. 
Guys, this is exactly the same. We believe that God speaks by His Word and by His Holy Spirit. And in this moment, God speaks to Elizabeth through the Holy Spirit, not for Elizabeth, but for Mary, because He wants her to encourage Mary in her faith and in the task that she's been called to walk out. Let me share a story with you. In my previous church that I worked in, um, there was a guy, he was our oldest member. He was 95, 96 years old. And he was a guy who was in church every day of his life, sat three seats in front of the pulpit. Don't know why that stuck in my head there. Um, don't laugh. It wasn't, it wasn't meant to be funny. Um, he ne- never missed, never missed church, ever. And then he got ill, and he wasn't able to get out for the last few months. And I called to visit with him a few days before he died. He was in the hospital. He was really quite deaf. And I was sitting, he was in a private room in the hospital, sitting beside his hospital bed. And I was chatting to him, praying with him. And I felt God say to me, ask him, is he a Christian? Now, I ask people that question loads. Uh, I think it's a really good question to ask. Um, but, but my head said, don't be stupid, Gareth. This guy has been in church every day of his life for 90 plus years. He's seen the Bible sitting out in his house. You, you, of course, you're going to offend him. You don't want to annoy this guy just in these moments where he's so critically ill. But I couldn't shake it. So before I left, I leaned across and I said, Robert, this may sound like a silly question, but are you a Christian? And do you know what he said to me? He said, sadly, to my shame, I'm not. And I said, would you like to become one? And he said, I would love to. Ninety-something years old, coming to church every day, and he's lying on his deathbed, fearful about what happens next because he doesn't have that assurance of salvation. And God whispered to me just the strangest thing, ask him, is he a Christian? And I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord. And a few days later, he passed away. I can't wait to see him in heaven. Listen, learn to listen for God's voice speaking to you in real time. And have the courage to speak it out loud. Do you know, our, our, our prayer minute, we offer prayer ministry every week. A prayer ministry is essentially just that. It's when you're experiencing something, feeling something, to come for prayer ministry and have some people pray with you and to help you listen for what God is saying to you. It's a ministry of encouragement. It's not fearful. And I'd love to encourage more of you to make use of it. I really would. Elizabeth encourages Mary, blesses Mary, speaks these words that the Holy Spirit gives her into Mary's life, and Mary erupts into song. Tell out the Lord. Tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. She, she, she bursts into this song. But it's so contradictory to her circumstance. It, it, it just doesn't make sense that she's singing such praise of God in the midst of such a difficult season in life. And, and guys, we've been there. I've been there. 
You've been there. There are Sundays you come in here, and because of what you're journeying and what you're carrying, you, you just don't want to sing Good, Good Father because it doesn't feel good from where you're standing. There are, are times you come into church and we sing, Great is thy faithfulness, and the words stick in your throat because you're thinking, I've been praying that prayer again and again and again, and God, it doesn't feel faithful. And yet Mary's song doesn't flow from her circumstance. It flows from who she knows God to be. And this is where we get it wrong in our culture. We look at our lives and say, God can't be good. We look at our lives and say, God, why would you allow that to happen? And we get stuck in that. And yet what Mary does is she doesn't look at her life and respond to God. She looks at God's words. She looks at the Bible. Mary is someone who, who knows Scripture inside out and back to front. How do I know that? Because this song that she sings, the Magnificent, isn't even her words. Most of it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 2 when Hannah is so desperate for a child that she, she kneels outside the temple and she praises and she sings to God and worships and affirms him. And when you read Mary's song here in Luke chapter 1, and when you read Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2, there is so much similarity that everyone believes that Mary is taking Hannah's words and making them her own. This truth of the scriptures that she's read from she was a child, she makes that her song of praise. She draws on the Psalms. She draws on Isaiah. She draws on Exodus. She draws on the parts of a scripture that reveal who God is and what God has done. And she uses that to praise God, not because of her circumstance, but in spite of them. I need a drink of water. Sometimes, well, always, when we sing and we worship, we're praising God, always. But sometimes in the midst of it, in the midst of singing to God, we're also singing to ourselves. Have you ever thought of that? Sometimes in the midst of singing praise to God, we're also singing to ourselves. And what we're doing is we're declaring who God is into our hearts, into our minds, over our lives, in spite of our circumstance. That's what we're doing when we sing, in Christ alone my hope is found. N not in my wife, not in my kids, not in my job, not in the things that, that the world tells me will give me hope and happiness and completion. But when those things are going well, it's easy to sing on the mountaintop. But when those things are struggling, I'm still going to sing in Christ alone my hope is found. And I'm going to sing it to God as a declaration, but I'm also going to declare it over my weak and breaking heart to remind me of who God is. Because worship shapes our hearts. When we come together and worship God, it shapes our hearts. Men of faith, rise up and sing. We're singing to God, but we're also singing to each other to strengthen our hearts, to call us to mission, to step out and say it's about more than just being here. It's about declaring God's story over the city. I'll come back to that in a second. Church, sometimes, sometimes when you come in here 
and you're not on a mountaintop. Sometimes when you come in here and your life is falling apart and you're breaking. And, and, and some of you, that's your story this morning. Your story is Mary's story this morning. And, and what, what, what you need to do, and it's so hard, I get that, I've been there, but what you need to do is, is to take your disappointment and take your pain and take your grief and take your fear and close your fist around it and lift it up to God and take Mary's words and say, not because of my circumstance, but God, tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord. Come on, heart, worship God's. We see it in the Psalms all the time. We encourage ourselves of who God is when we sing praise to Him. And we encourage the people around us of who God is when we sing praise to Him. And that's why it's so important that our praise and our worship flows from Scripture and flows from who God is and what God does. God, you are the mighty one. You are the merciful one. You are mighty to save. You are holy. You are healer. You are redeemer. That's what Mary sings. That's what we need to sing. Why? Because it's who God is. And that's what he wants us to know. The second thing I want to share. Worship shapes our hearts, but worship also shapes our city. We've got to get this for Belfast, for Northern Ireland, for the nations. We've got to get this. Mary, as she sings, she praises God for who he is. As she sings, she strengthens her heart with resolve of who God is to help her to continue to keep her eyes on him in spite of her circumstance. But what she also does is she prophesies. Look at the words. If you have the Bible open, look at the words of the song that she sings. She, she prophesies over what Jesus is going to do. The song's written in the past tense. It's God's words from the past that she sings in the presence as a declaration over the future. She prophesies over the future. This is what my son is going to do. This is what his church is going to do. Holy is his name. He is merciful. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed miracles and mighty deeds. He has scattered the proud. He has lifted up and filled the hungry with good things. As she remembers who God is, as she sings and speaks his words from the past and the present, she prophesies over the future. Prophecy, that's a word maybe we're uncomfortable with as well. But prophecy, all it is, is, is speaking God's words and praying God's words and singing God's words over a specific person, a place, or a situation. It's taking what we see about God in Scripture and praying it over a person, a place, or a situation. That's all. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. We allow our prayers to be shaped by God's Word. We allow our expectation of what God is going to do to be shaped by what we see of who He was in the past. And here's what I'm totally, totally convinced about. 
this city needs us to sing and proclaim and speak and pray a new story over it. Not a story of greed, not a story of individualism, not a story of loneliness, not a story of pain and brokenness, but a story of hope, a story of light coming into the darkness, a story of of amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved who? A wretch like me, a wretch like this store, this city needs a new story spoken over it. It needs the church to rise up and, and not, not just think about what's going on in here on a Sunday, but to sing and proclaim God's story over the city out there. As we read our Bibles as we become more and more convinced about who God is, as we become more and more convinced about what he does, and as that realization kicks in that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, our city needs us to speak. Let me use the word to prophesy. To speak the truth of who God is out there, to live the truth of who God is out there, to love the truth of who God is out there. We need the Holy Spirit to awaken our imaginations and show us new ways to be church in an age where the city is hostile to church. We absolutely do. Guys, there's something that there's something that over these past weeks, months, I'm becoming increasingly convinced by. It's not a new thing, but I think it's so so relevant to where we are today. We do great services here in Orangefield. I'm not. I'm not. Preacher's a bit dodgy, but the music's great. You know, you guys come every week. You, you, you love church, don't you? Yeah, I love church. I love being here. But here's the thing, and, and there are exceptions to what I'm about to say, of course, but, but here's the general thing. The lost aren't coming to the church. So it's time for the church to go to the lost. That has been weighing on my soul for months now. The lost aren't coming to the church. The day, the age, the season, when everybody came to church, it's gone. We don't see it here because our numbers are, are, are good, but there are churches right across the city that, that gather with a couple of dozen people. Where 50 years ago, they had hundreds. The lost aren't coming to church. It's time for the church to go to the lost totally convinced about it. And what we need, it's going to look different. What we need is the Holy Spirit to come and awaken our imaginations to let us see that the God who was is the God who is, is the God who will be. And what he did in the past, he will do again. And as we finish today, I want to share just a few stories with you. And I share these stories in an attempt to awaken your imaginations. When I talk about the church going to the lost, I'm not talking about organizations and groups. I'm talking about what it looks like for you on a Monday morning. What it looks like for you on a Thursday evening. 
Let me share some stories of people who, who I know, who I love, who have become completely convinced and are so in love with Jesus that their hearts are shaped by Him, that they have just found new ways to be His hands and His feet and His voice and His compassion in a world that's breaking. And I tell you these stories not, not to say this is what you should do, but to awaken your dreams and to help you think what is possible simply when you say, God, use me. First one is a lady called Barbara. Barbara's daughter actually belongs to this church. Don't know if she's here today or not. Uh, Barbara uh, was part of the church I was in in Balamoney. We were really friendly with a local primary school that um, was from a very working class area. We had a huge number of kids in that primary school on free school meals, way above the national average. And the principal, who wasn't a Christian, was, was agnostic. She said to us, um, you know, I would love to have some people who could come in and read stories to our foundation, our P1 kids. Because we've got this new research that shows that kids who are coming from a background where one or both the parents are on, um, on, on, on benefits, by the time they reach P1, they're exposed to in the round 5,000 words, different words. But the same kid who's coming from a background where both parents are professionals, by the time they get to uh, P1, are exposed to up to 50,000 words in the home. That's a huge difference. And she says, what we see tracking those kids right through primary school into secondary school is that they never make up that gap. They're constantly at a disadvantage. And she says, what I'd love is for some people, we haven't got the resources, but some people to come in and read to these kids. Barbara said, I would love to do that. She's a retired teacher. She's a grandmother. You know, could God use me simply to go in and read stories to kids and that could be my Christian service? Yeah. And she started doing it in a school where there wasn't a strong Christian ethos and the principal wasn't a Christian. And after a year of having these kids coming to her and reading nursery rhymes and stories and during the week praying for them, she went to the principal and said, I've got a whole bunch of Christian books, stories about Jesus. Could I read those to the kids? She said, I'd love you to. And now all of a sudden, this lady is given up a couple of hours a week to go into this school to read stories about Jesus to P1 kids to help them raise their, their attainment levels and their ambition and to equip them for the future and to tell them about Jesus. Amazing. Amazing. Let me tell you about, about Richard, who's a financial advisor who, who was so busy with work, he struggled to find time to serve uh, in his church. And then God spoke to him and said, I want you to use the skills you have in the community where you are. So now what Richard does alongside his main work is he provides advice to young entrepreneurs to help them start new businesses with kingdom principles, to create employment in the community, but to start businesses where they tie 10% back into social enterprise and back into the community. And they set these businesses up with that structured in the DNA of the company. Do you see how God's using him to do something new? Incredible. Incredible. What about Debbie, who's a nurse, 
if you work for the NHS, there's, there's really strict rules about bringing your faith into the workplace. And, she, and she's really honorable about her employer. But what she does, she believes that God heals today. And what she does is she examines patients and takes pulses and, and does her thing. She silently prays, God, show me what is wrong with this person. Father, allow your spirit to come in Jesus' name and heal this person. Just quietly under her breath. Using her skills to bring about healing, but praying for healing to come in Jesus' name. Or, or, or Davy, who on his day off just where you or I would sit and go to the gym or drink coffee, he puts a backpack on his back, goes into town and gives coffee to homeless people. It's not part of a group, he just does it. Or another couple that, that I was talking to recently, that they're not very far from here, who this Christmas, instead of having all their mates around to their house, have invited their neighbors who they don't know to come round for just a Christmas nibble and a Christmas drink. Because as we dream a new story over our city, as we say yes to God, He's going to use you and He's going to use me. Not so much around this place. He's going to do that. He's already doing that. But He's going to use you in new ways, in the things that you're already doing, in the places He's already called you to, to speak a new story over the city. And as we sing in a few moments, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. As we sing, my chains are gone. I've been set free. Sing that as praise to God for who he is and what he does done in your life. Sing it, if you will, to remind yourself that this is who God is, even though my life doesn't feel perfect. This is who God is and he loves me, and he's with me. But sing it, church. Sing it, please, as an act of defiance over a, a spirit of oppression that is over our city for a people that need to know that amazing grace, that need to have chains broken. Sing it as prophecy. Sing it as declaration. Sing it and sing kingdom come out there just as it is in heaven. Let me pray. And then I'm going to invite the band to come and just lead us in our closing couple of pieces. If you're able to, can we stand together? Let's just be still for a moment. Jesus, in the silence, allow your spirit to, to speak to move and as you speak to your people Lord awaken our imaginations for to see new ways of being church new ways to, to sing and speak and pray and live your word out in this city come and awaken our imaginations come and awaken our hearts Picture where you're going to be this time tomorrow. And now picture Jesus in that place. 
what would he be doing? What would he be saying? And just as Jesus said to his servants, so he says to you, go and do likewise.